really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the podcast that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. The leagues I follow are MLR here in the US, the Gallagher Premiership, and the URC in England and Europe, Super Rugby and the NPC in New Zealand, Australia, and the Pacific Islands, and when I'm able to catch it, Scottish Super Six and the Curry Cup in South Africa. On top of that, I follow the European Champions and Challenge Cups, the Guinness Six Nations, the boringly named Rugby Championship, as well as all the summer and autumn test series I can get. So with all that rugby to cover, you can count on us to be here 52 weeks out of the year. On top of which, you'll find a whole litany of bonus episodes, including, most recently, an interview with Lee Calvert, who is the co-host of my personal favorite pod, the Blood and Mud podcast, which I will again link in my show notes. So if you want to get in touch, by all means, please do so. It's always great to hear from you. I can always be found on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and wherever and however you like. With all of that out of the way, let's dive right in. So current updates. You know, after a nice little break for the holidays, it was back to work today. And, you know, it, it felt very, very weird. It's, it's starting to look more and more like catching the Omicron variant is inevitable. That's at least the way a lot of us are feeling. And there's just so much up in the air right now. You know, so as, as I write this, my household has tested negative, but the next few weeks in particular are looking ominous to pretty much everybody around here. So the good thing is for me, you know, parents have been strongly encouraged to keep their kids showing any symptoms of anything at home rather than sending them into school. So in a way, the school feels somehow less germy than usual, if that makes any sense. Oh, wait, it doesn't. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! That's right, Isa. That is good news. That's because no news is good news, and that's exactly what I've got. A fat lot of nothing. So there were, there were some stories this week about the latest results, but obviously we're going to cover all of that. And then there were some sort of depressing ones, predicting disaster for the European Cups, predicting disaster for all kinds of things, gloomily predicting how the Six Nations might like, but uh, might look, but I don't count that as news either. So let's just keep it rolling, shall we? So let's start this week with the URC. And on New Year's Day, we were going to have Dragons versus Cardiff, but that was postponed as of Wednesday the 29th, along with Ulster versus Leinster. Bummer, gotta say. We did, however, get to see Connacht versus Munster, and unsurprisingly, I had a lot of notes. First, uh, there were many changes to both squads for this fixture. Several players I've literally never seen or heard of before. So, looks like a full house at my favorite venue. I'm hopeful my guys can use that energy to get an upset here. Of course, the comms even mention it. There's a lot of upheaval at Munster right now with their coach leaving somewhat abruptly. It remains to be seen how they're going to go here. Uh, very tightly contested on another windy evening with one penalty each, the only scoring until Munster got a two-easy try off a simple handling error by Connacht. And the extras get carried away by the wind. Munster have a lead 3-8 to eight, right around the 24-minute mark. That's the type of game it was going to be, folks. So Connacht, they got yellow carded for too many penalties as Munster hammer away right at the try line. But in the end, Connacht's defensive stand stands. And uh, they were finally able to win a penalty themselves to thwart the relentless Munster attack just seconds before halftime. 
leading to a bit of afters for the frustrated players, though as usual, absolutely nothing came of it. Uh, quote, We've got a proper interprovincial derby on our hands now, drawl the comms, and I love the effort from my iconic boys tonight. Jack Cardi has to come off with a busted lip, and the ref is clearly getting fed up with both sides at that point. As the clock goes red, it's 3-8 to eight in favor of the visitors from Limerick. The bad blood continues to spill over during the team's trips to their own locker rooms, with another Donnybrook breaking out as the teams are leaving the pitch. Never seen that before, I don't think. Though, of course, nobody dares throw a punch. Oh! Another first for me as a viewer. So the ref, after halftime, the ref is so annoyed by what transpired as they were, the teams were leaving. He starts this before he starts the second half. He takes players aside, informs them that their actions are quote not good for the game unquote, and promptly yellow cards Ben Healy and Shane Delahunt. Yeah, I swear there are infinite wrinkles to this sport. I feel like every week I I say the words, never seen that before. <laughs> you just gotta love it. It's fantastic. So oddly. And significantly, perhaps, Jack Cardi has not come back out despite what looked like a pretty simple ding and all that time they had at halftime. So I have to wonder if there's a subsequent HIA that he couldn't pass or something. Of course, I really like Fitzgerald replacing him at 10, so I'm not too bothered at this point. And then almost as soon as I wrote that in my notes, the news comes that Cardi will not be returning while Fitzgerald is in the process of missing his first kick by a wide margin. So the next thing naturally I wrote was, uh-oh... Again, bizarre things unfold with Bundiaki somehow trotting over to put in a line-out throw. That was a new one to begin with. But then the, the ref tells Munster he's warned him three times about something completely unintelligible as I was watching. And presto, a free kick comes Connick's way. As far as I know, that must have been the most successful line-out in which Aki has ever been involved. Keep it coming, URC. Bring me that weirdness. So, some self-inflicted difficulties for Connacht, but when Ben Healy returns and attempts a penalty kick, it goes wide on both sides before drifting off to nowhere. I, I'm serious, by the way. It, it was wide left and then wide right. <laughs> Amazing. That is a windy place. After 55 minutes, the score remained the same. Connacht would finally get their first lead of the match, 10-8, to 8, at the 59-minute mark, and things are very, very tight. By the way, quick side note, the actual field of the sports ground is clearly just obviously not level. I'm going to tweet out a, a pic of what is obviously just a massive bulge distorting the level of the pitch. You know, as a, as a New Englander, it reminds me of what they call frost heaves on our highways. Ugh, it's very strange. Anywho, my boys squandered several great ac attacking opportunities. Munster seemed to have gotten their edge back with about 15 minutes to go. The comms claim Ben Healy has tried for a drop goal, but it was from about a thousand miles out. It looked more like a kick for territory to me. It just didn't come within 40 yards of where it would have needed to have been. Uh, however, Connacht win a penalty advantage with only 30 seconds left to play. And this one is over. Very impressive win for my guys from Galway. Not the prettiest match you're ever going to see, but oh, so good. One for the purists, as they like to say, I guess. So Scarlets versus Ospreys was next. And with no crowds in Wales, once again, it, you know. Just got to say it, it was not a very festive, festive derby. Uh, Scarlet's clearly came with a plan, though, in mind. They kicked not one, but two 50-22s within just the first 10 minutes, the second of which led neatly to their first try of the day. Really sloppy play all around, with even the comms saying, quote, well, it's loose, Shane. It's, it's very loose out there, unquote. And the answer came, yes. So the final score for this one was 22-19, to with a very exciting ending, I have to say, despite most of the fixture being so sloppy. So the count for the weekend, two matches and only five points total separating the victors from the victims. Very close affairs. Also uh, worthy of note, Johnny McNichol had a particularly uh, strong showing. 
He led his winning side in points, tries, clean breaks, defenders beaten, and meters carried. Well done, sir. Amazing. And then on the Sunday, I thought we were going to see Benetton versus Zebre. Uh, well, Edinburgh versus Glasgow was already postponed, along with the other two fixtures I mentioned already. But no, the Italian Derby too got called off. Either, I'm not even sure. Either on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, I'm not exactly sure. But it was not there when it was time to be watched. <laughs> Though, <laughs> to be fair, considering how much complaining I did last week about that particular matchup, it doesn't really feel right to bemoan this loss right now. However, no 1872 Cup? Are you serious? So rough. Not, not a happy camper right now. So moving on to the Premiership, we had two New Year's Day fixtures, starting with Sale at home for Wasps. <clears throat> I have to say, Sale are looking much more like the team we expected them to be this year. So uh, in the day after this match took place, I even saw a headline saying, Sale Sharks eyeing playoffs with victory, which really shocked me. It just seemed absurd, considering this was only their fourth win of the entire year. Seems very strange to me. Anyway, Lou Diago was brilliant as always, although if I heard the, the announcers right, this is only his fifth appearance for his team since he signed. I feel like the Sharks are falling victims of their own diminishing returns here, especially with their stable of Springboks. Anyway, interesting stat very late on. They mentioned that Sale got 24 yellow cards against them last year, which is the equivalent of having a man down for four entire matches. Good stuff, comms. That was great. In any event, Wasps have definitely come back to earth. You might even say they're skidding right now. I think if you look at the Prem and the European matches together, I'm pretty sure they've lost seven of their last eight. Ouch. Also worthy of note, uh, Sales' Byron McGuigan got his 100th cap for the Sharks. Somehow I thought it was much closer to like half that number. I was very surprised. Very impressive. 26-18 uh, was the final, aided by Jimmy Gopperth scoring and converting a try for Wasps right there at the very end. So that match was followed, of course, by Exeter at home for Bristol. Ugh. It made me so sad to hear this stupid music playing again. They're just, they just won't stop. It's obvious to me the, the owner's just doing his best Dan Snyder impersonation. What a clod. In fact, you know what? I'm just not going to talk about them anymore until they follow through with at least the beginnings of the changes they promised weeks ago. I just, I just can't stand the obstinacy of this badly wrong-headed organization. You know, they have great players. I'm already sad to have to stop talking about Stuart Hogg, one of my all-time favorite players. But I just, I just can't anymore. If, if you don't take a stand about something, you stand for nothing. Anyway, that being said, my Chiefs moratorium will impact them about as much as a raindrop falling over the ocean, but hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do. But on Bristol, however, I, I just have to tell you, so Semirandrandra, clearly, you know, you're looking at him for five seconds and you know, he is clearly one of the most talented rugby players on this planet, but... You know, uh, as you all know, I'm a Patriots fan, and if he played for a Bill Belichick coached team, he wouldn't make it off the bench. He is so careless with the ball. It feels like, I don't know, 20 or 30% chance that he's going to fumble it or knock it on every single time he handles it. So frustrating. Around 58 minutes, there was an exciting bit where the team I won't mention almost made an intercept for an easy and obvious try, but the pass actually gets into the hands of Randrandra, who shows his unbelievable breakaway speed then makes a poor decision about where to go, then fumbles it forward for, my count, by my count, the third time at least, just in this game. Dude, protect the ball. Anyway, with 10 minutes to go, Bristol got their first try. The comms are crapping themselves in their attempts to gush about what an amazing close contact contest it is. Yes, it is 12 to 10, but put it back in your pants, will you? The uh, perpetually sad-faced Callum Sheedy get Bristol a losing bonus point, but despite having one last desperate chance, they still succumbed in the end. 19-13 to 13 was the final score after the 80th minute had clocked by. Moving on to Sunday. We had Northampton at home for Saracens. 
I was sitting there trying to think, what is a what is an apt comparison? And I finally, I think I put my finger on it. Watching Saracens play right now is like watching a python eating a mouse. At first you're like, huh, that big old snake doesn't even have fangs. And then the crushing begins. So no tries at all for the continuing to be victimized saints. Maybe we start to call them the Northampton Martyrs. Is that a good idea? Final score, 6-30, to 30, 20 points of which were rung up by Alex Lozowski. And series are looking really, really strong once again. Uh, Atoje, of course, had another cracker, racking up another try along the way. Having the full-strength series, the unbeaten Tigers and the current champs, Harlequins, all vying for a title this year, that's looking very exciting to me. It should be an intense couple of weeks in mid-June, that is for sure. Moving on, we had Gloucester at home for Harlequins. The first thing I wrote was, I find it easy to forget how good Gloucester have been this year. They, they've gotten themselves squarely in the top four, which I don't think, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I certainly didn't see that coming. The comms mentioned it's been blustery. There may be rain on the way, but at the first whistle, man, it is absolutely beautiful out. What a venue. What a, what a spectacle. A scrum penalty going the home team's way in the very first minute, they will hope, is a harbinger of the way this one will go, but it is a long game, you know? Either way, the crowd is going totally bonkers. Oh, so they just mentioned, today is Danny Care's birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. You're looking remarkably spry for someone who has managed to survive COVID, uh, the Spanish flu, uh, the bubonic plague, and that time God flooded the entire planet. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, I know I've said it before. Not only is he awesome, just an unbelievably good player, but he also has the look of the dad who's agreed to drive like four other kids home after the game. Just solid bloke all the way. Couple quick stats on the side. Uh, Lewis Lineck apparently is the league's leading try scorer thus far, and Tyrone Green leads the Prem in carries. Didn't know either of those things, but also not surprised. Uh, as always, I find Austin Healy on comms incredibly annoying, but incredibly insightful at the same time. His explanation about some of the things Andre Esterhausen brings to the table was as uh, was as enlightening as it was hard to listen to. By the way, another side note. Thank the Lord that Hastings' hair is growing back. His team photo that they show, you know, when they're showing the lineups at the beginning with the shaved head, it's, it's shocking. He looks like he's auditioning to be the lead in 28 days later. Uh, fortunately, hasn't really affected his kicking, and he gets Gloucester on the board first. A man down, Harlequins get their first points via Marcus Smith's boot, making it 10-3 with seven left in the half. Almost immediately, Luke Northmore scores a brilliant try for the Quins with Com saying, oh, this is a good one too. They've not had much time at the piano, but they don't need much time to bash out a tune like that one. <laughs> I loved that. That was great. I also, to be fair, I love skipping doing the British accents and instead just going with the 1940s American radio voice instead. Somehow it makes the comments seem funnier to me. Maybe not you. Uh, anyway, in the second half, to me, it's a pretty obvious advantage to have Joe Marler as your water boy. It's like getting a free appointment with the great Oracle or something. I'm not sure the Cherry and Whites have an equivalent sort of sage-like presence on their own sidelines. Later on, I wrote... Dang, man, this one's getting really good. There's blood pouring down Jordy Reed's face as Quinns get another opportunity deep in uh, Gloucester's territory. But the fans are not worried. There's an absolute lion's roar coming from the stands right now. Which brings me to this, you know, I almost hate to say, but incredibly annoying side note. So games are canceled all over. There are no fans allowed in multiple stadiums. But we have a full house here and basically not a mask in sight. What exactly is this world right now? Anyway, as I said, the comps start mentioning the crowd coming fully alive. This one is well and truly good. It's not a festive derby, but it's got me feeling festive. Well, that and the third beer. Anyway, entering the final quarter, it is now 
pouring rain, as promised earlier. Quinns have another opportunity deep in Gloucester territory, and Marcus Smith gets a chance for three, but he doinks it off the post, and Gloucester have another chance. Sure enough, your dad and mine, Danny Care, gets a lovely try for himself as a present on his 342nd birthday. Brilliant stuff. Um, it was his 76th overall try in the Gallagher Premiership, and Quinns have their first lead of the day, 10-17 to 17 after the extras. By the way, if you visit the Rugby Hall of Fame, you'll see some of the reproductions of the original cave paintings depicting Danny Care's first career try against, uh, I think it was Cro-Magnon RFC. Uh, the, visitors look, the visitors looked completely energized by this turn of events. Marcus Smith makes it 10-20 to 20 with a dozen minutes left. The crowd goes nuts as their team score a try with about two minutes left. They are within three after the conversion, but I, I don't see this one as possible right now. You know, they do make a valiant effort, literally getting through more phases than previously in the entire contest. But in the end, it was still not to be. The champs were taking no prisoners on the day. Tight score, but it was 17-20 to 20 in the closing. Quinns are looking well established right now. Moving on, we had Leicester Tigers versus Newcastle. And, you know, as most of you will know by now, if you're a regular listener, the only rugby games I don't enjoy are the blowouts. And this was certainly that. So Newcastle have been good this year, so I maybe maybe foolishly thought they'd make it a close one, but it just never was. So the conditions were abominable, for sure. At one point, the pitch looked so bad that players from Bath apparently started spontaneously showing up thinking that they were supposed to be playing. But the competition was equally poor. To their credit, even when they were being shut out 24 to nil with only a couple minutes remaining, Newcastle still showed a ton of heart. Their energy levels never flagged. Unfortunately, trying doesn't necessarily equal tries. See what I did there? And they were well and truly beaten with the Tigers nailing down their bonus point win after the clock had gone into the red. 31 to zip was the final. Leicester have earned 50 out of a possible 55 league points on the year. That is truly remarkable. Though, to be fair, as I recently spoke about with uh, with Lee from the Blood and Mud podcast, Winning all of your regular season's ga- season games does not guarantee you a championship, and Patriots fans like myself are keenly aware of that fact. And then on the Monday, the last match of the week was slated to be London Irish at home for Bath, but during the series game, the, uh, the comps mentioned that it too had been called off. Though I am unclear if it's a postponement or a forfeit, I guess we'll probably know more this week. Hopefully, if we ever know anymore. Okay, of course, that brings us to the coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, I'm going to take Austin Healy's advice and give it to Andre Esterhausen. Andre, your toughness, your vision, I I call him Andre, by the way, we're buds. Uh, Your toughness, your vision, your playmaking skills, your ability to completely fold up would-be defenders along with your willingness to do all those small things that make everyone on your team better. Those things that often get overlooked by fans like myself. Together, the whole package is just an absolutely incredible rugby player, and you look determined to get your club back into that Prem final. Andre Esterhausen, congrats to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. So with that, it's time to look ahead to next week with our previews, and we'll start with the URC this time. So assuming things go forward as currently planned, which is probably quite an assumption on my part. Uh, On Saturday, the two Scottish teams will be hosting two Welsh clubs with Edinburgh hosting Cardiff and Glasgow welcoming Ospreys. Gosh, I hope the Scottish teams are back in action by then, really. Also, 
Munster will be at home for Ulster, always a terrific affair. And Scarlets will be at home for Dragons, which uh, technically is is also a, a game that will be played. So there's that. No matches for the Italian or South African clubs this weekend, or at least none are listed on the URC website. Meanwhile, over in the Prem on Friday, Bristol will be at home for sale, while on Saturday, Harlequins are home for Exeter. That might be the game of the season so far. Oh, I've had that one circled for a few weeks now. I just can't wait. Newcastle will be home for Northampton. The Death Star, I mean, uh, Saracens will host Gloucester. And on Sunday, Bath hopes to get a win versus Worcester. And then followed by the last game of the weekend, Wasps, hoping to be the first team to put a sting on Leicester. I wish them a lot of luck with that. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you when you do. So as always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can use Twitter at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram or just email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If, by the way, you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end and also help grow the pod, which would be fantastic. So if you like what we're doing here, there are a couple of ways you can show your support. They'll be listed in the show notes for this episode along with other stuff. Thank you again so much for coming along. To all of you across the globe, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And above all, be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, it does, neat. <laughs>